and welcome to the Therapeutic Teaching Podcast. I'm Shahana Knight, the founder of TPC Therapy and the creator of the Therapeutic Schools Award and the Therapeutic Teaching Course. And every week I'll be talking about all things related to well-being and mental health in schools. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of inspirational goodness to go out there and make a real difference in the lives of the children that you're working with. Each week will be full of innovative ideas, inspirational stories, practical guidance and even some freebies so that we can actually redefine what school should be for the children of today. You have so much power to make some real changes, so let me show you how. I'm so glad you found me here. Let's jump right in. Hi everyone and welcome to my very first podcast ever. So this is episode one of the Therapeutic Teaching Podcast. It's lovely to have you here. I'm so excited to share all of the lovely things that are going to be in this podcast with you. And I just want to kickstart off by explaining a little bit about me and why I do what I'm doing and then we'll jump right into today's session which is going to look at why mental health and well-being is more important than academic lessons at the moment. Okay, so first and foremost, why am I even doing a podcast? Well, I decided to do a podcast because I put so much information out there around mental health, well-being, children, childhood trauma, and I wanted to bring it all into one place. And I really wanted to offer something that's free. So I do lots and lots of different packages for schools and adoption agencies. And although that information is so important, not everybody wants to buy it. And I want to be able to share the message to people who maybe can't afford to buy it or whose school doesn't want to buy it, but who still wants to learn about how mental health is so important today. And what that means because I think mental health is such a buzz topic and it's so easy to say, you know, we're looking after children's mental health or it's on our agenda or it's really important, but what even does that mean? So that's part of my journey. Now, really, really quick overview, and I might make this into another podcast episode at one point, but quick overview. So I grew up in a family where there was childhood trauma. So my dad was the head teacher of our local primary school and my mum was a lecturer. Um, she sort of started out um, in nurseries and then she did some childcare sort of, um, what's it called? She had a, like a, um, what are they called? Nanny in service? No, that's wrong. Childminder. And she was a childminder. And then she moved on and she sort of um, moved through the ranks and became a lecturer. So they were both highly regarded in the education system and they were really quite popular in our local area. You know, my dad did loads of things that just were unheard of at the time. So he started a first hearing impaired unit and looked at special needs in his school and made that a priority. He was really keen to make sure that um, there was lots of different ethnicities, everybody was valued, everybody was equal, um, and just was quite a pioneer really. He was also really focused on the well-being of the families that came into his school, so was quite involved in the local community and kind of did a lot of outreach stuff, I think, without really realising it. So the families knew him really well. So for us growing up, that was a really interesting kind of dynamic to be around. You know, we went to that school. So our dad was the head teacher. Um, and me being me, I absolutely loved that. You know, I love anything spotlight. Um, I just do. I love to be able to be heard. I love to be known. Um, that just makes me thrive. It makes me excited. It makes me want to give and to offer lots to people. And I really loved the fact that my dad was a head teacher um, because it meant that I had a bit of a platform and people would listen more and I could help more. And I did that even at primary school. 
In fact, I remember rallying everyone together and throwing one of the teachers a birthday party. Um, so yeah, quite influential even from a young age. But what people didn't realise was behind closed doors we really struggled. So my dad also suffered um, from manic depression and he was an alcoholic. So a lot of our early childhood was really, really scary and felt unsafe. Now the first sort of zero to five years we didn't really feel it because we were young and mum was very nurturing and dad was very playful and we did so many wonderful things. You know, we went on caravan holidays, we had amazing Christmases. And so when you're a child, if it's not extreme abuse, you kind of don't see it. So he probably still was an alcoholic, he probably still did drink, but not so much. And he was able to get through his day-to-day -day life and still be this influential, wonderful person. So we had a really solid first sort of five to six years. And then as we got a little bit older, and I, I always peg it around seven to eight years old, it might be completely wrong, but that's where my memory takes me. We started to become really aware of the struggles. And there were lots and lots of days where he wouldn't get out of bed. He um, really struggled to just be present in the moment with us. He was quite angry and frustrated or just really down and would stare into space. Um, he had a particular chair in the living room and he would just sit there all day and drink and smoke and stare at the TV or listen to music um, and he just seemed really sad and some days were great, some days he would take us swimming and he would be this amazing and um, adventurous dad who just had great ideas, was really playful and wonderful and other days it was completely the opposite and we had a very, very up and down childhood. Some days were great, some days were horrendous. The horrendous days, you didn't talk about the next day. He acted like normal, you acted like normal. But as things got went on and we got older, it started to become more and more and more manic. And obviously we were teenagers, we became sort of more aware. Things got really, really out of hand and it just wasn't a pleasant environment. So, you know, and I mean, I say teenagers, but you know, that was from about eight or nine onwards. And I just remember lots of really negative things where there was a lot of emotional abuse. There was a lot of obviously um, depressive kind of manic behaviour, um, lots of drinking, lots of times where he would be completely drunk, lots of times where he would do really crazy things that would just make us feel really unsettled and really unsafe. Um, and it was a really tricky experience. But what we didn't do was tell anyone. So we walked out of our house and we were the happy family of four, you know, devils and well, people knew that, but they didn't know the scope of it. And we kept that all inside. So you can imagine as a child to swallow that down. I had to still be really good at school. I had to still be a great friend. I had to still do all of the things that were expected of me, my exams, um, trying to be the best that I could be academically, um, flourish, go to clubs, etc., etc. And at home, it was just absolutely horrendous sometimes. And those horrendous periods got more and more and more and more frequent. So that experience really helped me to understand that childhood trauma impacts us and it impacts us as we grow for the rest of our lives. Now, what I didn't know was that was going to fuel my career. Now, I then sort of, as soon as I could, as soon as I was old enough, started to work with children and was aware that there was other children who were experiencing difficulties. Now, at the time, I didn't draw the direct correlation because people didn't really talk about mental health and childhood trauma. It wasn't really a thing. 
you know, I knew, I remember there was a boy in my class in year five or year six whose dad was extremely volatile and actually smacked him in front of us all as punishment. I remember, my memory tells me it was within the classroom. I don't know whether that was allowed or not, but I feel like his dad came in and punished him in front of the classroom for misbehaving. And this boy was so, so naughty is what they used to call him. Really destructive, really unhappy. And I also remember another little girl who was part of a traveling family who came in and I made friends with her because I wanted to help everybody. And I remember she had long hair and then she got nips and they just shaved her hair off. And she was really unsettled. She didn't feel like she belonged. So there were elements of time in my memory as a child where I remember other children who must have been going through trauma. And I had empathy for those children, but I never really identified that, hang on, we're all experiencing childhood trauma. I just had this sense that they were not okay as well. So that kind of helped me as I grew. You know, I had far more empathy for other children. And like I say, as I moved into sort of my adult years, I mean, I say adult, but when I could work, I would nanny for everybody, I would work in after school clubs, I would do as much volunteering as I could with children. And that then progressed and I went to um, university and did psychology and specialised in everything and anything to do with the social aspects of psychology, the mind, people, behaviour, not so much the stats. Um, and then that then moved and evolved into play therapy. And I then became a play therapist and did that for a number of years before I grew my own team. Well, I say a number of years, I did for one year and then I grew my own team. Um, so my experiences have informed my decisions all the way through my life. Now, the reason that I'm here today, the reason that I'm doing this podcast is because all of those experiences have taught me a great deal. I am now a mother, I have two children and I'm a wife and the dynamics of that are really interesting when you've experienced trauma because you're constantly being sucked back in to your childhood trauma, reminding yourself really strange random things come up and you, it links you back to your trauma, it links you back to your childhood and it does put barriers in the way of being a good wife and being a good mum and I am so aware of those things that I'm constantly trying to work through them to make sure I'm my best self, that I make sure that I'm my best parent and also at the same time trying to use that experience to help inform and teach others because we are in a world right now where it isn't just three children in a class like it was when I was growing up, it's 20 children in a class of 30, if not more, and they're all experiencing different things, different levels of trauma. Some maybe have experienced a divorce and that's still quite raw. Some maybe have families who are quite volatile and shout at each other and don't really um, understand each other's feelings and don't really have empathy for each other's feelings. Um, some have severe trauma, they live with domestic violence, they live with abuse and those children are coming into our education system and we are not equipped to handle that. We do not have enough knowledge, enough skill set, enough awareness to truly make school the safe place that it needs to be. Now, I'm aware that there are so many wonderful schools out there doing so many wonderful things, but what this takes isn't just one or two people who are trained in childhood trauma and understand it. What it takes is a whole school, a whole school who understands why mental health and wellbeing is so important, how childhood trauma is affecting the children in their classroom, and know what to do. So much so that it's ingrained into the way that they work, the way they talk to the kids, what they teach the kids, how they respond when the children are misbehaving, They've got this other part of their training that says, hang on, I've got a radar now. I can see those children. I know how to speak to those children and I can help those children. 
And actually, that's so relevant today. And that takes me through into our first proper topic of this podcast, which is mental health and well-being is so much more relevant and so much more important than academic subjects. So maths, English, how to write, um, science, all those other things. And I'm not saying that it's not important to know how to read and write and to know how to do your spellings and to understand maths problems. That's really important. What I'm saying is there's no way that children who are experiencing any type of trauma can even get to that point, can even start to learn if they've got childhood trauma and other things affecting their well-being happening. It's impossible because the brain isn't working. The brain is completely shut down. Now, I'm sure we'll talk about the brain loads and loads and loads in our podcasts. And also, if you do want to learn more, I've got a free training session that you can sign up to completely free and learn about the ins and outs of how childhood trauma affects children's brains and what's going on. And it talks about triggers, it talks about behaviours and what you can do to help. So there's lots and lots and lots of times that I'll be talking about the brain, but essentially our thinking brain is completely turned off when we're stressed when we're dealing with other issues that affect our well-being, And that is your typical child experiencing any type of trauma. Now, if we think about today, right now, yes, we've got children, maybe 20 children in a class, dealing with different levels of childhood trauma. We've also got a huge epidemic happening right now. So I am sat here and we are seven months in, six months in to a global epidemic, um, which is the coronavirus. And what I'm seeing is that, yeah, there's lots of children who were experiencing childhood trauma. There's now almost every single child in the UK experiencing trauma too. And that trauma is either an added layer to the trauma they already had, or it's brand new for them. And that is that their parents are dealing with this big epidemic they've never dealt with before. They're struggling with high levels of stress, and they're trying to get through that the best they can. They're also trying to guide their children the best they can with not much experience of dealing with really high levels of stress when something is so prevalent that it affects your day-to-day life, every decision, your movements, who you can see, who you can't see, what you can do, and it's so totally out of your control. Now, if you think for a moment you'll be able to pull just from your own sort of um, roster of friends and family, so many adults who are struggling with this, you know, seven months in, we're tired, we're drained, we're sick of it, a lot of us, you know, we turn the news on and it's there, we open a newspaper and it's there, we go on our Instagram feed and it's there, we speak to our friends and it's there, constantly bombarding us all of the time. That is really difficult for any adult to manage. It's also difficult to try and navigate your life through that. You know, you're so stressed out, you can't work properly, you're homeschooling sometimes, you think you can send your children into school and then their bubble gets ill and they're home. All of these different things that are affecting us and that is affecting our mental health and well-being. It's also affecting the children. How many children suddenly feel like they're living in a world that's inconsistent suddenly? It's unsafe. It feels overwhelming. They're getting all this information about um, danger and illness and taking care of themselves, taking care of other people. And no matter how much you try and shelter your children, it's affecting every single child. Now that is having a direct impact on their well-being. And well-being and mental health link. So our well-being is our feeling of wellness how well we feel within ourselves. And that's not um, health in terms of 
our bodily functions, you know, how well our liver is doing, how healthy we are in terms of how active we are, actually what it means is our minds. How well is our mind, our mental state, which is why it links to mental health. The more that you can be well and have a good positive well-being and take control of your well-being, the better your mental health. And well-being boils down to simple things in your day, routine, consistency, feeling secure, looking after yourself when you're feeling stressed out, being able to manage your emotions, taking time for yourself, um, all of those things that make us feel good, seeing our friends, speaking to people we love, having a nice bath, um, some of us meditate, all of those things take care of our well-being. Right now, a lot of the things that we do to take care of our well-being are not allowed. We can't see our friends, we can't go out, we can't surround ourselves with our friends and family. You know, it's harder and harder and harder and what that's doing is, it's affecting our well-being. You know, we can't go swimming, we can't, sometimes we can't, um, there was a time we couldn't go for long drives, so one of the things I do for my well-being is I go out and I go for a walk in the countryside. You weren't allowed to do that. I remember taking the kids out to the hills and coming back and there was notes on everyone's car saying you are not allowed to drive out, you are not allowed to drive for pleasure. And that feeling of just being trapped and feeling like, well, what can I do? This is the only thing I can do. There's nobody here, I'm in the middle of nowhere and I'm not allowed to be here. So our well-being is being hijacked almost. That's gonna affect our mental health. And our mental health is how well we deal with that. You know, are we feeling more depressed? Are we feeling more tired? Are we feeling more irritable than angry? Are we even aware of our feelings? And that comes down to mental health. And slowly but surely, it affects us. And it's affecting our children too. So, when our children are in our classrooms, and they're coming back, and they are, I mean, I think we're four weeks in now to September. Some bubbles have already been sent off. I know my own daughter's has. She was in five days. And she was so excited to be back to school. And on the fifth day, she was going to bed. And we got a phone call from school saying, uh, sorry, an email from school saying, don't come in tomorrow. You're not allowed in now for two weeks. Somebody's tested positive. And I had to come upstairs and tell her just before she was going to sleep that I'm sorry, you can't go in tomorrow. And her uniform was laid out. She'd been talking about PE. She loves a new teacher. And that heaviness that I felt having to tell her that was just destroying and she dealt with it really well. But then the two weeks after that, that she had to be on her own, away from her brother who was still in school, and knowing that me and her dad had to try and juggle work was really hard. That really affected her mental health. She was crying quite a lot. She was really quite vulnerable. She felt alone. She had all these intrusive thoughts about um, being by herself, nobody loving her, nobody taking care of her, because it was totally different to what she'd experienced, even just in lockdown when we were all together. So how many of your children in your class are feeling that way? You know, you're welcoming in your 30 um, class bubble. How many of them feel overwhelmed and unsafe? How many of their parents are struggling massively because the bubble burst and they had to do homeschooling for their sibling and juggle work? You know, how many of them are just feeling like they're in danger with the virus and everything that's coming in with the virus, all the news reports and all the things they're hearing, even just the new things that are happening at school, washing their hands more, not being able to mix with the other bubbles. Some schools are still eating in their classrooms. There's so much change. Now, whether you've had a history of childhood trauma or not, this is a traumatic experience for most. And it might be a low level trauma or it might be quite a high level trauma. Regardless, it's affecting our mental health and our well-being. Now, 
when we're inviting our children into school, school usually is about academic achievement. You know, we're talking about making sure that they can get catch back up again. You know, they've missed six months. We're not going to let them go behind. We're going to catch them up. Um, you know, there might be children having extra English sessions or extra reading sessions. And schools are scrambling to try and figure out where their priorities lie. Because the truth is, children are not going to learn if they don't feel well, if they don't feel happy, if they don't feel secure, if they don't feel safe. We physically can't biologically. You cannot learn anything if your brain is in survival mode. And right now, we're all in survival mode. Nobody knows what's going on. We could all receive a call at any minute to say schools are closed or the bubbles are down or the, the guidelines have changed. And that's really unsettling and unnerving. We're in a period of time where we're trying to figure out as we go. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing that we can fall back on is being able to take control of our mental health and well-being. And that links directly to something called emotional intelligence. When we're emotionally intelligent, we are aware of our feelings. We can identify when things are getting overwhelming. We know why we're behaving a certain way. We can identify that in other people. We can empathize with other people. We can problem solve and try and figure things out. All of that is around our emotional intelligence. We need emotional intelligence to be able to be on top of our mental health. We have to be able to understand why we're doing what we're doing. So. Are you snapping more with your family? Are you sleeping badly? Are you having more nightmares? Are you really distracted on your phone and just feel like you cannot really get a handle of your work because you're all over the place? Do you feel isolated even though you've got your family there? Do you feel alone? Why? Do you know why? Can you pinpoint why? Can your children? So actually emotional intelligence should be our priority right now. Forget maths, forget English, forget writing. You know, yeah, that's important, but right now they can't do it unless they're really, really able to understand how they feel and manage that. So right now, our priority in school should be mental health and wellbeing. Now, I know that lots of schools are doing wellbeing curriculums, lots of schools are doing um, catch up where they're trying to help the children with their wellbeing before anything else. And all of that is really good. But do you know why you're doing it? And do you know what your outcome should be? The outcome needs to be that the children are more self-aware. That's the one thing that you need to be able to focus on. Self-aware children. So that, yes, you're doing something that calms them down. So lots of schools I've seen are doing more um, wellbeing activities. You know, one of the schools I, um, I'm closely connected to has been doing a wellbeing activity I think it's every day and they just do things so they've been doing jigsaws with the children they've been doing collecting leaves outside and making pictures and um, they have bought into my well-being curriculum so they've been doing some of my lessons meditations in the morning feeling journals in the morning lots of other things and that's amazing but what's the outcome we're not just doing things for well-being because we know we have to help with well-being we need the children to be more self-aware so while they're doing that jigsaw puzzle, they have to understand the reason we're doing the jigsaw puzzle is so that you can have some time to regroup. You know, you need to be able to work through your thoughts, process, um, have some downtime. That downtime is going to calm the stress in your brain. It's going to switch your thinking brain on. It's going to help you to learn. And once you're in that state, you can learn a lot better. It's also going to help you handle any stress that might come your way this week. If you do something for your well-being every day, you're going to be able to handle it when school says you can't come in or when the guidelines change or when mum and dad are really stressed out because of something you don't quite understand, but it's to do with their work and the coronavirus or not seeing Nana or whatever it might be. 
We've got to give the kids an, an opportunity to really upskill themselves and to understand why we have to look after our well-being, and that's key. So what I'm trying to get around to here is everything that we do in school is about teaching and our focus has always been in school around teaching academic things. Right now, more than ever in history, we need to change that focus. We need to change our focus from being about academic and we really need to make our focus far more about the children, upskilling them giving them an opportunity to understand why they behave and feel the way they do, raising their emotional intelligence, helping them with their well-being, and really giving them the skill set to manage their mental health. If we can do that, we're actually teaching a lesson that children need right now, because lots of parents aren't doing that. You know, I try really hard to teach my children what I am teaching other people and what I'm doing with other people. And the biggest thing for me is emotional intelligence. I want my kids to be really, really emotional intelligent. So I'm constantly reflecting back how they feel. I'm constantly talking to them about their emotions. I'm constantly pulling out other people's emotions and bringing it around to life lessons. And that's just how I weave into my parenting all of the time. And that's great, but it's draining and it's hard. And it takes a lot of strength for me because I'm stressed too, I'm struggling too, I've got my own processes. There's so many parents and so many teachers who don't even have the awareness they need to do that. And where do you even start if you do have the awareness? You know, you might get told we need to focus on wellbeing, but what does that even mean? Why, why is that so important? What is the outcome for that? It isn't just because they've struggled and they need an outlet, it's so much more than that. So our curriculum needs to reflect that now more than ever. We need to just throw the handbook out for a little while and we need to focus on getting these children to a place where we are teaching them what it means to deal with stress. In fact, this is a perfect opportunity to do that. This is a brilliant opportunity to teach and really teach a lifelong lesson that maybe these kids wouldn't have been taught had there not have been a coronavirus. So let's focus all of our energies on teaching them about them about what makes them tick, about why they're getting angry right now, why they're kicking off, why they're frustrated, why they don't want to learn, why they're tired, you know, why they're disengaging and give them as much information as possible about what is going on for them so they're upskilled, so they're empowered, so they're self-aware, so that eventually any other thing that happens in their life that adds stress, that is a barrier, that feels overwhelming, out of their control, we've given them the strategies and the skills to deal with that. Is that not what education is about? Is that not the whole purpose of the education system? To get the children ready for the real world? Well, right now, this is the real world. So forget whether they can do their maths right now. The focus needs to be on what they actually need to learn. Who do they actually need to be to function well in the world? Right now, they need to be self-aware, resilient, they need to be confident, they need to have self-belief, they need to understand other people, they need to be able to self-reflect, they need to be able to self-regulate, and that is key. Can they manage their own mental health and well-being? Are they even aware of what's affecting it? And if they are, what are they doing about it? That is what we should be teaching children right now. So, I hope this podcast has been inspiring. Please bear with me, I'm so new to it. I've never done it before. I don't even know what the audio is gonna be like on it but this will be available in a video form and it will also be available in an audio form. You'll be able to find the video form on our membership site 
and on YouTube and on any other platform that I pop it on and you'll be able to find our audio version in our podcast section which hopefully will be on Spotify and other platforms and on our website. Now moving forward these podcast sessions will be all about upskilling you, inspiring you, we'll have mindset stuff, we'll have career-based stuff, we'll have um, life-affirming stuff and we'll also have lots and lots and lots on what to do in the classroom, lessons you can teach, um, approaches you can use, why we need to do them and there'll be absolutely loads of free resources, free lesson plans and free um, other things that I can think of to help you to do that. So please, please, please like, subscribe and make sure you come back here every single week for our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope it's been useful and I'll see you again in the next episode. Bye for now. I hope you've loved this week's episode of the Therapeutic Teaching Podcast. If you want more help and support to become a therapeutic teacher, but don't know where to start, then head to tpctherapy.co.uk and enrol in my free course now and get started.